First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Obviously, we now live uh, in a world where ridiculous and creative uh, things happen uh, that are unanticipated when it comes to uh, history and and the like. And gentlemen, I just have to ask you, (laughs) what's the likelihood that Justin Trudeau ends up dating like some incredible American pop star or something like that within the next three months? It's like a rebound? Yeah, I mean, that's just like a automatic sort of thing right i mean yeah you know, we, saw, we saw the way melania looked at him you know it, like the, he's got some sort of truck with women that i don't fully understand because to me he looks like you know it, it, like if he gets the castro gene he got none of the testosterone that comes with castro it's only the hair and like the facial structure he doesn't have any of the kind of like joie de vivre you know like th- that man would choke the- a cigar you know, it's like the Sinatra, uh, Ronan Farrow, same, same, you know, passage of genetic material there. Um, <laughs> no, but see, I believe that one, that, that, that one, <laughs> that one, I actually believe. <laughs> but, but so wait, so I, I didn't hear you're as usual, you're more in touch with, with, uh, celebrity gossip, and I will call him a celebrity, not a political figure, than I am. So I guess he's get is he getting divorced? He's getting divorced. It was news, and, which he announced on Instagram. Like, oh, like, the, like the worst. Like, I mean, come on. Like, we all know you're a beta, but like, come on. <laughs> I, so, two things. I'll just say real quick. One, the the reason I think he probably will date somebody famous and uh, attractive is that is that celebrities are Canadian at a sneakingly high suspicious uh, high rate, right? A suspiciously high yes. rate. And oftentimes they you, you, they surprise you with their Canadianness still to this day, and so I <laughs> they, just they think surprise there's... you both with their their both with their humor, um, and with their they they have a prevalence for like uh, women who are attractive and like hockey, which is which is a very yeah. attractive trait. So it's it's uh, the it's, the, it's Pam, very... the Pam Anderson theorem. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. But the so... point is, like, he's definitely a hundred percent going to be dating like some random pop star uh who who we all have heard like one song from and uh and nothing else uh but just because of his hair there's no it's a- way it's got to be avril lavigne she's she's the she's the canadian one hit wonder pop star that comes immediately to mind it's got to be well, is it avril lavigne one or is it avril lavigne like earth two avril lavigne or whatever it is, whatever the theory is the current uh theory in uh in practice about uh, who she was replaced with, you know, because there's that whole body double thing with Avril Lavigne. Um, uh, I didn't so, know that one. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, no. Avril Lavigne, there's this, if you want to get into a wormhole, man, go down the the wormhole of internet theories about Avril Lavigne being disappeared and replaced by someone who was her body double. 
it is a very strong internet <laughs> so it's series. so it's saddam hussein and avril levine those are the two <laughs> that happened <laughs> i i just I, look the point is just this justin trudeau just like megan and harry is one of these worthless euro fail people who you know is is woke and idiotic and has offered like actually nothing in terms of of his tenure and he will inevitably end up dating someone who is famous and hot because he's Justin Trudeau. I think that's right. It's a, it, I mean, it's, it's funny, like, you know, mixed feel, I, I don't hold him in high regard, uh, mixed feelings though, because I don't, I don't usually indulge in like it really intense schadenfreude, but a little bit, but like, I mean, where I legitimately wish to see people suffer. And the one exception to that is Tom Brady, who I really just want to see suffer every day. And I get nevertheless America's, I had America's greatest uh, <laughs> bachelor at the moment. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to say. Nevertheless, I had mixed feelings, at, at, you know, not just because I sympathize with his empathize with his kids, of course, but I had mixed feelings just because I knew just the the parade that he was about to, you know, be the. Oh, grand gosh, no, there's no way that's there, there's no way that story ends well. He's yeah. I mean, it's it's going to be it's going to be bad. And, um, you know, I, I don't. I don't hate Tom Brady um, uh, in part because I cannot hate someone who's won me the amount of gambling money that Tom Brady has won me. I think as an individual player, he has won me probably more money than any anybody else that I've ever bet on, um, which is which is kind of sad because uh, because uh, there there are definitely no in the top ten list. There are definitely no Redskins slash football team slash commanders on that list. Um, though I did bet, I, I did, Bra- I did wait, no, 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 I did Draft bet King. on Taylor Heineke. I did bet on Taylor Heineke to cover, and he did cover <laughs> that one playoff game. So, so it's a, but it's a very short list. So, um, no, I, I, I think you know, if if we're gonna, you know, let's take this to the next step. Uh, I mean, this sounds like an automatic buddy comedy, you know. Brady and Trudeau, Trudeau and Brady, yeah. <laughs> hit Vegas together, or hit you know hit the uh, uh, hit South Beach. <laughs> Wedding Crashers too, yeah. Oh man, that's fantastic. But, but when you're when you can have your wing guy, wingman be Gronk, why would you pick Justin Trudeau? Exactly, exactly. There's uh, uh, no contest. look. We need to stand up for Tom Brady. Is an American, <laughs> maybe the most American American, uh, and wh- why are we why are we going to subject him to that? Yeah, no, it's uh, the the the, uh, the the way that Gronk would look at Trudeau, <laughs> or like I mean, just you know, he's de- there is definitely no respect that would go on. He's he's the prime minister of what? <laughs> is that a country? <laughs> Where, so anyway, I I am. I am both uh, loathing and welcoming the amount of of traffic that the Justin Trudeau dating uh, sweepstakes will do for the Daily Mail and therefore for my wife. So uh, I'm I'm sure she will be able to afford at least three more purses out of out of that uh, uh, traffic experience. Don't you Um, think it's just going to be some sort of environmental activist? That is also like kind of semi-famous. Oh, he'll look for a Huma. Yeah, he'll start. He'll start by looking for a Huma, and if he can't find a Huma, then it'll he'll have to settle for a for a you know, Avril. Could you? See, I can see more of like a Shailene Woodley type. I mean, and and maybe that's the linkage, the quarterback thing, the celebrity yes. thing. There you go. Oh, there you go. Perfect. No, that actually that actually works. Crack great. the case. <laughs> 
you you because you because you take someone uh you know who is you know both has sort of the uh, the americanized cred but it's like you don't have to work on her to be interested in like native issues and indigenous peoples of canada because she's definitely already got an opinion about that (laughs) (laughs) all right gentlemen this is thunderdome and we are talking about uh, a number of things that have happened in the last week, but most, uh, you know, important of all, apparently, Vivek Ramaswamy thinks that 9-11 was an inside job. <laughs> Where wow. did that come from, guys? Just did you, asking did questions. either of you have had that on your bingo? He's just asking questions. You know, it's of, it, sorry, you go first, John. I've got a couple of thoughts. If he's, it's, it's starting to wander into kind of that, um, that Tucker territory were asking, like, are you just asking questions? And like, why would you pause something like that? Are you just asking like questions that? or are you seeking a particular answer? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and here's the other thing. If, if you saw this interview, and I think it was what he did with the blaze. Is Yes. And okay, I had, he, by the way, I have to say, I, I, I talk a lot of crap about that. Um, uh, that comedian guy uh, who uh, does, you know, has, you know, he invaded Barstool. You know, he's done a bunch of like weird crap. I did not know that he had a Blaze show. Uh, Alex, what's his face? So anyway, um, but but Vivek, you know, uh, uh, again, 100% media strategy uh, goes on every show that invites him. Uh, and he, uh, you know, did an interview where he was asked if 9-11 was an, an inside job. And he basically uh, said, yeah, maybe kind of, you know, might, might, you know, can't trust the government. So anyway, proceed. I just love the guy that's, all about facts and what we, you know, can can discern and know for sure is saying that the absence of whatever smoking gun uh, that he believes was missing with this, you know, it, it's it's just sort of. Bef- I'm at a loss for words because it's so asinine that that somebody could have those beliefs, but sort of present them in the way they do. Go all in if you actually think that. And here's the other thing. If you are be if you are saying that we need to be skeptical of elites and skeptical of um, you know what the government is saying, and, and sure everybody should check the facts and come to their own con- conclusions mm-hmm. uh, about things, but why should we believe him? What makes him different? Is he going to be magically different when he's president or as the you know biotech CEO or or what have you? Why should we trust him more? We don't know who this guy is. He hasn't been in the public domain other than as just sort of a guy hawking books for the last couple of years. So I, I think it's disgusting. You know, look, I don't think anything is disqualifying at this point. I mean, clearly you can run for president. Well, but, but the experts, but John, the experts say that, that, you know, jet fuel can't melt steel beams. <laughs> so I mean, like <laughs> particularly the experts that Vivek is apparently listening to. So it's, I mean, I, I just, this, this to me, I think the, the Larushis need to have their schedule their own debate, and they can talk about all the conspiracy <laughs> stuff. They can have RFK Jr. there to well, talk but about can vaccines. They see, can they still do that with the with the? I mean, with Queen Elizabeth's death, I assumed that the Larushis were the hardest hit because all of their theories were related to like the Queen and to the royal family and everything. But have they just moved on and assumed that like uh, that was bequeathed to uh, you know other members of the Habsburg been, Empire? Yeah, she's been replaced <laughs> in the Pentaveret. So, <laughs> well. I, I just look. Uh, my point is this: we we are we are living in this weird world where there are people getting taken seriously who should not be taken seriously as presidential candidates. 
uh, and that's someone like Vivek Ramaswamy, from my perspective. And then there are people who actually should probably be taken more seriously as presidential candidates. I would include Doug Burgum in that list um, as being just sort of, you know, like th- there is not, we should not have this assumption that goes into any kind of contest like this, where just because you are the most media heavy candidate, meaning like you are investing the most time in doing media, that that makes you any more serious. Uh, and and that's the thing that bothers me. It bothered me about the Ben Carson candidacy. It bothers me about this Vivek candidacy. It bothered me about the Andrew Yang candidacy. It's like you are not made more serious simply by the fact that you make yourself available well, for hundred percent of the interviews. You but I think that the difference there is that Ben Carson wanted to be president on some level, and Ramaswamy, the goal, the end is is the means in this case. He's got a hundred percent media policy because his goal is to be in the media. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I, or I, you know, and I understand, yeah, maybe have a, a position in a Trump administration. I think that's viable too, but he's really, he saw that the best money-making scam in America right now is appealing to a certain, you know, slice of voters. And, um, and I think, you know, that's, that's where his head and his, his heart is. And I mean, the, the, I, I don't think he's, the other thing too, is like, I don't think he's a, a 9-11 truther necessarily. I just think he's willing to, say that because he's willing to say whatever he thinks there's 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 two things going on one it's it's like of a piece with the desantis rfk stuff it's the same sort of thing which is someone asks you a question and because of the environment we're in 2023 and 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 how american politics works right now in the media environment you talk to as a potential candidate the most psychotic element of your base you don't sort of talk to the fat meaty middle of your base and then count on the fringes to come along for the ride you directly make your pitch to the the fringiest part of it i think that's based on a fundamental miscalculation especially disastrous in desantis's case because he had a real shot of being president uh at one point in time i think it's based on a big miscalculation but nevertheless it's what everybody seems to be doing but the other thing too is that there is this this phenomenon where uh, you know republican voters used to be the establishment and i don't mean that in the in the Georgetown cocktail party way. I mean that in the fact that they, you know, they were institutionalists because the the institutions of the U S were in various ways, fundamentally conservative and the, the, you know, the, the, you know, from network TV to, you know, to the military, you know, to uh, you know, take your pick. Right. And there's been this, this like long, like secular transition in the last, you know, 20 or so years where the left has taken over all these institutions that were run by, broadly speaking, you know, the right for for a long time. And as a result, the institutionalists have become the lefties and the people who say trust no authority are all on the right now. And that's a fascinating thing that's much bigger than any one presidential election. And I think this is also an instance of that phenomenon happening too, where, you know, if anyone asks you whether you should believe the government on X, the correct answer is no. So I'm uh, uh, currently doing uh, this conversation with you both wearing my Kennedy 2024 T-shirt. It is made in America. It says that multiple times on the tag. Um, Lee, uh, I want to clarify something that is uh, on uh, Wikipedia regarding Alex Stein, the quote-unquote comedian. Uh, I don't believe he's actually a comedian uh, who did this interview with Vivek. Uh, Here's from uh, Wikipedia. Uh, Stein began his career in 2011 by producing and participating in food challenge videos on YouTube. In 2012, 
Stein was a contestant on the reality TV show that was on ABC, uh, The Glass House, in which he described himself as having, quote, no shame and asked viewers, quote, should I turn into the most epic villain in the history of reality TV, unquote. And he was the first to be voted off. He appeared on season four of Worst Cooks in America on Bobby Flay's team in 2013. So definitely that's someone who we need to have, you know, interviewing presidential candidates uh, you know, especially, you know, uh, someone who is going to take all of this very, very seriously. Um, I'm I'm curious about your reactions, obviously, you know, to uh, the more dominant story of the moment, which is uh, this indictment of uh, former President Trump by Jack Smith. I have had to talk about this until uh, I am blue in the face uh, on Fox News and in a, in a number of different capacities. I'm going to have to continue to talk about it. I find the whole thing to be really insulting, uh, objectionable. Uh, I think it's a travesty. Um, I think that there are all sorts of things that you can indict Donald Trump for, but I think this is really, you know, something that should not have been brought in the way that it was. Listening to the commentary last night live from Andy McCarthy and Jonathan Turley, both of whom, you know, as legal analysts, I respect their opinions and whether you agree with them or not, they both rejected this as being you know, like a ridiculous indictment that never should have been brought. There are also sort of the issues of all the co-conspirators that are uh, listed in this indictment, including, you know, five out of the six are lawyers. Uh, and it seems very much to me as if this is kind of an attempt to brush back or to go after the idea of having any kind of representation. Uh, and I say all that with a caveat that what Donald Trump tried to do on January 6th and what he tried to force Mike Pence to do was absolutely unconstitutional, illegal, uh, unethical. Um, what John Eastman advised Donald Trump that he could do was unethical, illegal, bad advice. Um, he's a bad lawyer, uh, and uh, which is one reason why I think, you know, at the end of the day, he's probably going to be the one who suffers the most from this. Um, but it, it it really was... It really is, I think, uh, infuriating in a way because the Justice Department is now essentially ensuring that this 2024 election is going to be about relitigating 2020. Uh, and I find that to be really obnoxious and irritating, uh, just as a commentator. Um, and obviously, because, uh, you know, that's the thing that matters to me, uh, it, it irritates me the most. Um, Dan, John, what are your thoughts on this indictment? I haven't read a ton of the the coverage yet, but what I have seen is sort of suggestive of, of what you said, Ben. I think it's going to call some free speech issues into question, which is always really a, to me, is a really just fundamental thing. Um, but I think the, the the bigger issue here is the most appropriate time to adjudicate Donald Trump's conduct on January sixth was was during the impeachment proceedings. You know, immediately thereafter yeah that's and, that's the by the way i just want to interject that is the mccarthy position is he's like this is a the you're you are trying to do a legal attack when this ought to have been a political issue i think that the way that the democrats structured impeachment and i had no problem with them moving quickly uh then but i i don't think that they framed it as tightly and appropriately as they should have i think that's a real dereliction of duty particularly with regard to how the president, you know, was let's say not looking out for the the best interest of the the vice president's well being that day, 
And, and I think that in, in a more tightly crafted impeachment, or even in the one that they went through, look, I, I think there is a perfectly reasonable case to be made for Republicans voting to impeach Donald Trump for what happened on January 6th. Mm-hmm. That said, is is doing this and is sort of trying to stretch kind of uh, what the law will allow here. And again, I think some of the coverage I saw, you know, it comes down to what Donald Trump's state of mind was. And I mean, we'll be it for any of us to try to figure that out on on any <laughs> on, on any given day. Did did he believe all this stuff? I don't I don't I don't think he did. I hope he didn't. Um, but but maybe he did. <laughs> maybe he did. maybe maybe he did. Uh, but look, I still think that the I'm more curious about to see what what shoe drops in Georgia potentially in a couple of weeks, because I think in that case, I think that I mean, there is a smoking gun and you know there is direct testimony from people that I think are credible, like, you know, Secretary of State John Raffensperger, uh, you know, certainly something acts to grind too, you know, with, with, you know, between the president and, you know, Governor Kemp. But I, I don't think this is nearly as cut and dried as the previous federal charges on the, the document retention uh, mm-hmm. seem to be. So, well, uh, let, let me just interject one thing. I, I think it's actually useful just to ask this question. Would you have voted to impeach? It, it, like in the in the actual in that context, not the not the Ukraine thing, because I think that I mean, I, I'm assuming that you're not you know pulled into that. Uh, but to me, I found that Ukraine impeachment to be absolutely insulting. It was the idea that like a, a an analyst could supersede the president of the United States in terms of what they thought should happen. And I think that even more so, you know, since then we've learned it's, it's an even weaker case than what we thought at the time. Um, But, but the, the January 6th impeachment to me, you know, I, I felt, I think I felt very similar to what Mitch McConnell felt on that, which was like, we can't impeach this guy. He's literally walking out the door. He's not president anymore. Um, You know, this is not a, a situation where we can, adjudicate that but now we're kind of seeing the ramifications of that meaning that because they didn't impeach him you know this is going down this criminal law category which is honestly more damaging in so many different ways than it would have been to impeach him at the time though in fairness ben i think if the impeachment vote had been held on january 7th or january 8th i'm not sure that they wouldn't have been able to get 60 votes or 66 yeah. or 67. Yeah, no, votes I think you're, Senate. I think you're, I think you're right. Um, and, and I, and I think that there would have been, I think you could make a very good case for it. And I think that the more important thing there would have been the, the cauterizing effect of precluding Donald Trump from able to run for president again. I agree with the first impeachment, or I guess my take with the first impeachment was that it was something that was, ends up being more a question of how one judges the, the president's, behavior in that instance. Uh, but we were close to an election and the American people got to render their verdict in 2020 and they chose to go in a different direction. So I, I think what's important for people to understand is that impeachment is an inherently political act and a political process. Yes. It is not I, a I, court I, of law. It's not. It's I, not. I, 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 I want to interject here for a second because I had to say this. Uh, this is back before I was on Fox. I was on CBS and I made this point and it like shocked everybody. I said, you realize that like the literal the first impeachment in America was over the fact that the guy was drunk. You drunk know, on like, the bench, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it, it was it was shout out to Pickering. 
Right yes, now. exactly. <laughs> so, the, so the point is like, you know, don't give me this crap about like we have to meet some kind of standard. No, literally the guy just showed up to work drunk and that was enough, you know, <laughs> to to uh, uh to impeach him. So anyway, Dan, get uh, go ahead and weigh in on this. Yeah, so I mean there there's pl- plenty of blame to go around. I mean, one of the things I think about continuously uh, as usual not original to me, but it's just how the unlikability of Hillary Clinton is a world historically significant fact that will <laughs> potentially lead to the rise and fall of empires. Um and it goes back that far. I mean, cuz one of the things you think through seven she, steps she she, you know, <laughs> she is she is as ugly as Helen of Troy is beautiful. <laughs> on the inside, we're talking about on the inside. Um but we, you know, one one of the things you go down seven steps down the path and you think, you know, you know, they were so terrified of losing to this guy, Donald Trump, again in 2020. And the rest of their party had gone insane because they lost to him in 2016. And so they had no reliable candidates except to dig out a guy who was 173 years old and who they knew had spent the last four years. I mean, Democratic officialdom knew that during Biden's, you know, hiatus from public service, he'd spent an awful lot of time and his family had spent an awful lot of time shaking down every tin pot dictator and functionary in every second and third world country, uh, you know, across the world. And they had no other choice but to run this guy out there. And we're seeing the consequence of that now. On the other side, as you both just ably said, you know, I, I've I felt this way since January 7th, and and I think this view has been utterly vindicated. You know, they didn't do, as Congress did what it always does, which is it kicked the can, right? And it suffered the consequences. They didn't do the hard mm-hmm. thing on January, whatever it was, um, or February, whatever it was, by the time they got around to it. Um, they didn't do the hard thing. And because they didn't do the hard thing then, which was absolutely to impeach the guy, convict him and bar him from running for office, they were scared of their voters. And they thought, well, if we do it this way, you know what, we'll probably bounce back in the midterms, we'll take, we'll take the chambers back, and we won't have to worry about this guy in 2024. There's no way he could win another nomination after what he pulled. And what happened, right? They obviously did not, they did not win the midterms. They did the red wave did not come and we're going to get another Trump nomination, I'd say 60, 40, 70, 30 at this point. Um, so there's plenty of blame to go around. Now, I, I also agree with John, though, you know, the way the impeachment was written, it's like you, you're just waiting for somebody to do their job. And, you know, besides Brad Raffensperger and, and Mike Pence, it's hard to find anybody who did their job um, mm-hmm. in the in the weeks after uh, the election and in the weeks after the impeachment, because you're sitting there and you're looking at Nancy Pelosi. And I, I was stupid. And I thought for a second she would understand the import of what she was up to. And would write a narrowly tailored, you know, set of set of uh, charges and try and get as many Republican votes as possible. And Ted, instead, she turned it into a messaging document. The Democrats turned it into a messaging document. They lost votes like I think, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, t- t- votes they should have had on the Republican side. I, I don't want to name names because I don't want to be wrong. But but good. Conservative no, no, no. no. I, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm going to say this quite honestly. I think there's a way that you write that impeachment document that gets like middle of the coalition and over like i mean there's a there's a way that you can construct that that actually does that because guess what there are a lot of republicans who feel like you know what happened there was something that you know violated their principles of their pocket constitutions and if you get those people then there's a then there's a wave in your if all if all they did was make it about for instance i'm not saying they had to do this but if all they did was make it about what he was doing for those hours 
on on the six sitting in the white house staring at the glowing rectangle that dominates his life and you know not you know and and if all they did was make it about why the joint chiefs felt like they had to issue statements in the middle of the day saying that you know the the, the that the military was not going to follow illegal orders right i mean if you think about how yeah. crazy that bleeping day was right yeah so if all they did was focus on his conduct after the the capital was breached they could have gotten 70 votes i i'm convinced you know, I, I will also withhold my special scorn. I, not the first time I've said this or written this for Hawley, though. And we've seen that the direct the because Hawley was the first guy to get on the Senate floor immediately after all this happened and say, nope, nothing's changed. MAGA. Mm -hmm. um, and so, I, you know, and, and then, of course, later we got to see the funny footage of him running around with his hands in his pockets, dashing through the halls of, uh, of Congress. No, so I will. I, I have to interject on his behalf. There, that was a clip that showed him, but did not show the previous 99 members of the Senate doing the same Right, thing. doing the same thing. Fair <laughs> enough. Yeah. Maybe, maybe has, we'll have it say. So, but, so, no, 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 no. But I, I, I hear your point. My point is more, I think, I think that this is a situation uh, that should have been avoided based on a, any kind of judicial uh any kind of doj that was willing to acknowledge uh the situation that they were in and basically say uh this is not for us to resolve right this is for the voters to resolve and you know we it's important to note as students of history there were not trials after the civil war you know who wanted a trial after the Civil War? Who wanted to be accused of treason? Jefferson Davis. And he wanted it because he wanted to re-litigate the war and everything that went on with it. And so yeah, what I think, I think what we're seeing right now is something that is really damaging to the American Republic because they are essentially saying, yes, we want to re-litigate this. And I think that what you're going to end up with at the end of this is more Republicans agreeing with Donald Trump about what happened in 2020 and more people who are skeptical of the idea that Joe Biden was elected with 81 million votes. And yeah. that, I think, is a damaging thing. I mean, it just shows I mean, we're not a history podcast, obviously, but it just shows the unbelievable wisdom of abraham lincoln you know time and time again <laughs> like the you know what it, what did he say he just wished that that davis and lee would sneak across the canadian border right and just that that yeah. would and and that would be the end of it right so yeah. but the problem is trump trump is not just had no intention to sneak across <laughs> the canadian border or go to dubai or, or of Scotland. course <laughs> um, I, I i i so i will just say one thing on the actual merits and uh, you know prefaced with i am not a lawyer the only it's a, it's a it's a crappy it's a crappy indictment. I I side with McLaughlin. I side with McCarthy, um, and I think the folks at and the editors at National Review said much the same thing with with a couple of dissents there among their staff. I, I think it's really just Noah Rothman who's dissenting, yeah, and, yeah. and no, and no, and 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 you know, due respect to Noah, but you know, he he is you know a, a, both not a lawyer. Um and uh, not a and, Trump fan. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I th I think he has a little, he's, he's 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 shown his uh, his own internal bias. He doesn't want to make America great again. But I will I will say the only the only thing on the substance that I think is interesting. Two things. One, what highlights what makes this such a difficult case to prosecute is usually even if you're a layman or you watch Law and Order or whatever or you read the news, you will have heard the phrase knowingly or recklessly, right? 
And all of the, if you read the indictment, all of the relevant laws just say knowingly. I thought that was interesting. Now, maybe a lawyer's listening to this screaming at their, their car radio, but <laughs> there's no, there's no knowingly or recklessly because, you know, there's a standard of like, if you have disregard for the truth or you act in such a reckless manner as, as to not be able to accurately ascertain the truth or falsity of the information you're acting on, you know, that is a potential legal problem for you. But in all these cases, it really does turn, seem to turn on whether Trump and his co-conspirators knew. And for all the reasons you guys said, that yeah. is super problematic. On the other side, and then I'll shut up, what I think the closest thing to an obvious nexus between the facts as we understand them and like the violation of a law stated in that indictment is the obstruction of an official act stuff. Now, even that, that's a, that's a law that was... Um, that was passed basically to stop witness tampering and mafiosa from killing, you know, intimidating witnesses or, 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 you know, crashing their cars or something on the way to the courthouse. The, 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 so th there's that problem, but what, where the nexus is, is, you know, Trump and his co-conspirators did organize these false electors. Liberty, and, you want to say hi to Dan and, and John? Say hi to Dan <laughs> and John. Liberty, is Liberty interrupting? Hi, Dan. Hi, Lib. <laughs> How you doing? uh yeah we've been invaded by a toddler <laughs> and we're, dis we're discussing the blessings of liberty so, so um, there we go. but go uh so just to finish the thought like there is this nexus between organizing these false electors and trying to impede an official proceeding which is to say the certification of the electors and then the really nebulous charge at the end is conspiracy against rights which is the one that is both it's odd because there's this charge in the indictment that's that Trump, you know, committed a conspiracy against rights, people's rights to have their votes counted, that sort of thing. And it's like, on the one hand, you're like, absolutely, he did. On the other hand, you're like, well, that's every that's every major political party official in every election in the yep. history of the country. Has yeah. So, so, has well, but let me let me ask, let me ask this to John. So, <clears throat> um, so, uh, you know, uh, the charges Trump faces, you know, there's a conspiracy to defraud uh, uh, the U.S. by disputing the, the election results. But there are all these different sound bites from, you know, literally dozens of Democrats following the 2016 election and even going back further from the, uh, you know, from the 2004 election, from the 2000 election. And those sound bites include Joe Biden and Kamala and Nancy Pelosi and Jamie Raskin and all the others. Okay. So they, they've all done this. Um, you know, how are we supposed to feel about that? Because it feels like what they're doing is essentially criminalizing something that they were completely okay with when it was people on their side doing it. Yeah. And that's all this time. I mean, remember all the, when, when Tom Belay was at the, the height of his power and there was a lot of talk then. And rightfully so from delay defenders that there was basically a criminalization of politics going on. Now, again, I, I think what, what Donald Trump did was, was awful. And I think it was different than what, you know, Tom Belay was doing, but, but yeah, there's, there's been efforts to sow doubt. I, if memory serves, I think Jamie Raskin was even trying to contest uh, some of the 2016 election results mm -hmm. on the house floor. Uh, I, I think what's, What's what's different here, and I don't think it's exculpatory for Raskin, was the scale at which this happened, where you had so many members in the House uh, for political reasons. And I think a probably fair number of them believed it too. That sort of fell in line with this this theory of things that 
Trump presented. But, but yeah, the, the, the folks that are about democracy and, you know, the, the virtue of the Republic and what, whatever else it is, it always seems like it's got a more than a finger on the scale as to which direction they want to see things go. I think there's some, you know, going back to the, to the civil war uh, history lesson that, that Dan took us down memory lane on. I, I think one of the things that was a failure of, of Nancy Pelosi's speakership was not finding a way to reconcile the, the some of the very normal House Republicans into the next Congress. Of There was a lot of weirdness going along for a long time. And I'll tell you what, guys like Tom Cole from Oklahoma, they are not insurrectionist sympathetic. They are extremely normal, patriotic, good conservative guys that don't subscribe to these theories. And he was treated the same way. And you pick pick 175 other members uh, as some of the members that were more more sympathetic to to the events of the day. So at some point, the the escalatory path has to stop. I'm not sure who does that, but the, the sort of effort to say that this is only happening on one side, it really, it's really sort of the, the Norm Ornstein argument, right? That, oh, the Republicans are so radical. Why does Norm Ornstein? <laughs> exactly. Indeed. But, you know, you'll have, uh, you know, you'll have really strong, uh, you know, conservative. As, as, as I like, believe Dave Weigel responded to one of my tweets of that, he said, <laughs> because EJDO. <laughs> so <laughs> are, are they different guys? But you know, when you have Kevin Drum out there trying to make the case that no, the you know, the Democratic Party has actually been the one that at least on social issues has gone in a much more radical direction, you know, that's it's brushed away. So yeah. it's I don't know what 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 will sort of centralize, you know, not centralize the country, but centralize our cultural forces in some way to get people at least in some degree of of alignment, I think it's going to take presidential leadership. Frankly, I'm not sure that anybody in this field, and I will exclude Doug, Doug Burgum because he's he's my guy right now, because uh, I just he's just such a fascinating figure in all of this. Uh, I I don't I don't see anybody who's who's capable of doing that. It's certainly not going to be the, the current president or his predecessor. Yeah, uh, and, and I think the last time we saw somebody who who really like him or not, but that really tried to build a larger national coalition was George W. Bush. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I want to, I want to run through a couple of quick things because uh, you know, we've, we've, uh, we've talked a lot about, about this, but one, um, one thing that I think we need to acknowledge is that in a Friday news dump, uh, the president of the United States turned uh, his granddaughter uh, into someone who's going to be in the in the Wikipedia uh, books as as being one of these Friday news dumps, and now apparently is doing uh, or is trying to do exactly the thing that I said he should have done years ago, uh, which is into which is to invite uh, her to come and meet them. Um, I don't think you get any credit for this at this point. I think that what they did was that the the Morning Dowd column happened. They did the numbers on it, polling wise. They saw that it was something that was hurting them, especially with uh, suburban women uh, and mothers. Uh, and now they're trying to scramble to make up for it. And I will tell you this: uh, among Democratic friends that I have, this is the one item that just like they agree with me a hundred percent. 
where this is just, you know, I don't get why he's not being empathetic. I don't, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I feel like this is something that just cuts to the core of his appeal to the American people in a way that is, you know, really, really damaging. And I don't, I don't know why the White House and this uh, and this White House, you know, with, uh, you know, with uh, everybody who's associated with it didn't, you know, make a different decision. Yeah. So I think it. I think the reported story, because the reported story in the Times that we talked about on this podcast that you that resulted in your advice that the president eventually took was the more damning thing, because it was so it was so full of just like absolute daggers Um and 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 what made them more damning was that the times was bending over backwards to try and not make them daggers but they kind of at a certain point ran into the ran into the facts the limits of the facts and some of that stuff just reads as so devastating so then that prompts the dowd column and then that leads to what happens i mean i guess if you wanted to give biden the benefit of the doubt such as it is it's it could be that his son is the cold-hearted dirtbag and mm-hmm. he didn't want to get cross on where his son was with respect to that relationship characterized or that they wanted to wait for the last ink to dry on the legal proceedings on that but you're you're right i mean if there's one thing that's endearing about biden it's his genuine love and affection for his family and unfortunately for lots of other people's families too um <laughs> the, the lean-ins and the smellings and the wh- ear whispers <laughs> over the years um, have confirmed. But so, yeah, I mean, there was so I don't I mean, yeah, he doesn't deserve any credit for it on any kind of moral level. I hope maybe the little girl gets something out of it, a memorable trip to the White House or or, or something like that. But but he's going to I think it is going to bury the issue for him as any kind of talking point. Um, I mean, someone will still be able to say you denied this little girl mm-hmm. for X X number of months or years or whatever it is. But he at uh, least... I, I, I will still I will still uh, advocate for my frame of this entire issue as being the thing that animated his uh, change in behavior. Uh, uh, just that that's my own in, internal, um, uh, you know methodology in terms of <laughs> in terms of this like he was uh, so overcome by by he was whatever. so overcome by ben dominich's analysis oh. of the fact <laughs> oh, that donald oh. trump could bring his grand granddaughter to the debate stage uh and, and ask him if he wants to meet her <laughs> that he decided to make a different choice um one last thing you know i know that in terms of the you know the way that we view what's going on right now we are in the thick of it we are paying attention to it on a day-by-day basis uh you know what i have heard from you know a number of different people including from people i would say are within the desantis orbit um that this is not the case that basically you know the american people are not tuned in to the degree that they ought to be uh, or the degree that we might expect them to be. Uh, and that, in fact, uh, you know, a lot of people have really not made up their minds yet. Um, that's all really an open question. What do you think about that? Do you think that that's actually true? Or do you think that this is something where they're just kind of wish casting uh, because their failure to launch, you know, is something that it's so, you know, palatable uh, that they're hoping that they can kind of, uh, you know, have some more clock? I think it's definitely true that that 
ordinary voters break later than pundits do and don't pay as close attention until it gets they get closer to a voting booth i think that's a, a repeatable reliable phenomenon I think it's a little bit less true of early state primary voters where they're sort of definitionally a little bit more plugged in i think it's a little bit less true in a media environment that they're no you know the media's number one favorite topic of conversation is donald trump and their number i don't know three or four favorite topic of conversation is Ron DeSantis in the state of Florida. So you got two in the top 10. Um, and that that cuts into that narrative a, a little bit. And then last but not least, let's just credit that theory from inside DeSantis's orbit that it's it's still early and people aren't plugged in or made up their minds. Well, nevertheless, if you show up after whatever imagined date you have in mind, where voters start to pay attention, if you show up and you've got five red welts on your face from where the rake handles hit you from when you step from when you stepped on them then that's still going to have an impact on what they see when you get to the point where they start plugging in so you know it's it's still it still ain't good um to have had a first couple months like the DeSantis campaign has had nothing's impossible they're still sitting at number two I do think the legal stuff will have some kind of impact on Trump. And I don't even necessarily mean from a moral standpoint, but I, I think, you know, just if, if people have to start wondering about, you know, what can he or can't he uh, pardon himself for or like, you know, if people have to wonder about, like, you know, can, can a guy who's awaiting sentencing be sworn in to serve, you know, th that will impact some, I think, even fairly sympathetic Trump voters decisions. So there are still a lot of unknown, unknowable wild cards there about who pulls the lever for whom as the legal stuff unfolds. Um, so there's that going for the DeSantis camp, but it still ain't good. This has been Thunderdome. You've been listening to a conversation with Dan, John, and me, Ben Dominic. Uh, you can check out uh, all of our uh, work over at The Spectator, thespectator.com to sign up for all of our newsletters, our podcasts, and our magazine. I hope you will check it out. And we will be back next week with more from this insane presidential election. Uh, we'll see how many indictments come down. Uh, by <laughs>